Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. Well, good morning. I am super honored to bring the word of God to us today. We've heard the scripture read for us. And as we look at this text on the triumphal entry, I like to speak on the subject, the body speaks. So growing up in church, I had never been taught to pay attention to my body or what it could teach me about God. Discipleship was what I knew in my head, and that was supposed to shape my heart and my actions. But I don't think that I was ever taught that my body could teach me anything positive about who God is. In fact, the things I learned about my body in church were often about what they should not do and what they shouldn't be engaged in. This quarter in seminary, though, the repeated theme that has been coming up is about what it means to embody my faith and to pay attention to what my body can teach me about God. I recently learned this firsthand last weekend when we went away on a spring break trip. In the first morning, I physically could not get out of bed. I could hear my friends making plans outside. I could hear them making breakfast, but I just couldn't get out of bed. And when I finally managed to and washed up, I came out only to crash onto the couch in a fetal position for the next couple of hours. It was weird. The whole time though, the voice in my head kept telling me I had to get up. I had stuff to do. I ought to be helping out, but my body simply refused. And then it dawned on me that my body was trying to teach me something about God and about myself. And that in literally being unable to function, God was reminding me of my limits as a creature and my need to rest and recover. And when I finally accepted that, it was so freeing to defy and deny the various voices of need and expectations that I'm always driven by. And my body was teaching me that believing that everything depended on me or that my having it together was simply not true. And that's just one example of how paying attention to my body has begun revealing to me more about God and helping me to remember, to pay attention to all the various parts of me and my being that God has created me with and that matter to him. And so a whole new world has opened up since I started taking seriously the fact that Jesus took on a body like yours and mine so that he could visibly show us who God is in the flesh in ways that we can relate to and follow. And so it dawned on me that to follow Christ isn't just about paying attention to what he says, but also paying attention to what he does. When Jesus says, come follow me, I'm realizing that he meant that literally. We're not just to follow his teachings, but what he did with his body and how he lived in it. The body speaks. So I was really excited as I dug into today's text from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 16, because of all four gospels, the gospel of John in particular focuses on Jesus as the very embodiment of God's mission and will. Jesus 
is the revealer of God. So it was super surprising for me to realize for the first time that Jesus doesn't actually say anything in this entire account of his triumphal entry. And this is despite the fact that John famously opens his gospel by describing Jesus as the word who was with God from the beginning, who created all things, and life came into being by the word. But you know, here, we only see Jesus's body doing all the work with no words. His body and actions are the message that reveal who God is. So let's take a minute to get acquainted with what's going on and the characters in this passage. It opens with us being told that a great crowd had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So every year, pilgrims would flock from all over to the holy city of Jerusalem to purify and prepare themselves for the feast. And this Passover feast it was a big deal on the Jewish calendar because that was when they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt as slaves. And so everyone came and many would come early to prepare for it. In fact, John tells us just before this account that word had spread like wildfire that Jesus had actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this drew even greater numbers who were eager to check out who this miracle worker was. And once they heard that he was coming to Jerusalem, a large crowd gathered to welcome him and hail him as king. They were so enthralled by the reports they had heard that he had raised Lazarus and all these other signs. And they believed that Jesus had to be the promised king of Israel. Their Messiah and Savior had finally come. And so the crowds came and they were not wrong to hail Jesus as king of Israel. It's just that their expectations of who and what they wanted this king to do for them was different from what God the Father sent Jesus to do. They harbored high hopes of him being a political savior, the one who would free them from the Roman Empire. Jesus, however, wasn't going to be that for them. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't correct them. He simply enters in riding on a donkey as they shout their welcome. But just because he receives their praise doesn't mean he's going to fulfill their expectations. In riding in on a donkey instead of a war horse, he was revealing through his body and actions what kind of king he would be. One who would come in peace. He wasn't going to save them through military might or force. He was not there to overthrow the Roman Empire. And this was actually prophesied in Zechariah 9.9, which is actually in our passage for today, that the coming king would be righteous and victorious, but he would also be a humble king who rode on a young donkey. But no one understood the significance of the way Jesus entered into Jerusalem, though. And we're told in the text, even his disciples didn't get it. But, you know, they really couldn't be blamed because Zechariah 9.9 is actually only one part of a two-part prophecy. The second part of that prophecy in Zechariah 9.10, which is not mentioned in our passage, actually goes on to say that this coming king would also save Jerusalem from its oppressors and then announce peace to all nations so that his rule would be over all the earth. But this just wasn't the moment for that. And it still isn't. And it won't be till Christ comes again. And so the crowd's hopes and expectations of Jesus they weren't wrong at all. They're just too small. They wanted to be delivered from their rulers right now. 
But Jesus came to do more than that, infinitely more. And Jesus had to come and not fulfill their expectations because he had come to set all people free from the ruler of the earth and the bondage and deathly oppression of sin that we're all subject to. And yet Jesus doesn't correct the crowds. In fact, he says nothing. He simply enters in on a young donkey. His body does the work of testifying who he is, what kind of king he is, and how he would soon give up his very life and body to fulfill the word of God. His body and actions are the message that reveal who God is. Or you see, the body speaks. So what does that mean for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus? I can see two specific implications for us. Firstly, that the crowd, it's natural to have expectations of Jesus to do for us what we want in the here and now. It could be to relieve our pain or discomfort or to bless us or free us from our circumstances or to bring justice to the many around us who are oppressed and diminished and in danger because of the bodies they inhabit. However, just as Jesus silently defied the two small expectations of the crowd, perhaps we too need to reinterpret Jesus' seeming silence to our prayers and petitions. When God is silent to our prayers and lament, could it be that we're being invited to give up our expectations of how and when God must deliver and act? Maybe this is an invitation for us to trade our expectations for a sense of expectancy for God to act in ways that are beyond our human imagination. What if God wants us to let go of our expectations and lean in and ask for a God-given expectancy for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Secondly, I love that we're told that the disciples only understood the significance of Jesus entering into Jerusalem in the last week of his life on a donkey after he was glorified. That gives me great comfort that it's okay to not get what God is doing in the moment. Jesus had no word of rebuke for them, and he didn't even turn this into a teaching moment. Instead, he would later send his spirit to help them remember and realize what they witnessed was the very will of God on display through Jesus giving up his body. You know, it also should not be missed that we're told they only remembered the significance of what happened to Jesus when they were together as a collective. And just as Jesus told the disciples to stay together after he'd been taken up to heaven and to wait for the gift of the spirit, I believe we too are called to stay together in community, even and especially when we don't yet fully understand what God's will is in and around and for us. We are called to discern and discover God's will and mission together in community. And so as a community, are we gathering to remember and be shaped by the significance of who and what Jesus is doing in and through us? Are we helping each other to remember and bring our full selves to the table so that we can fully reflect and testify to the lived reality of living in the now and not yet? Jesus used his body to make sure that not only can we have eternal life and life abundant on this side of eternity, 
but that this would be available to all people. And that's why we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to live in proximity to those who don't yet know Jesus so that they too can experience who Jesus is through our bodies and actions? Are we willing to share our homes, open our hearts and our bodies in ways that others can have life? Because as we do, we embody and reveal the kind of king whom Jesus is by the way we love and live with one another in community, especially in the midst of brokenness, oppression, injustice, and the hopelessness around us. And that is how people around us will see the good news in action. And like the crowds who gathered to see who Jesus was, perhaps people then will begin to become curious enough to come and see who is this Jesus? Because he's not just for you and I, but he's for all people. And that is why Jesus came. And so I discovered something else that's super interesting about the crowds and what Jesus was doing. We're told that they were waving palm branches to welcome Jesus as they proclaimed him as their long-awaited king. And this is super interesting, but John is the only one who mentions that the crowd had palm branches. And these palm branches, they were symbols of victory, triumph, and, the, and a royal welcome. So it is even more interesting that the only other time that palm branches are mentioned by John is when he prophesies of an even larger crowd who would be waving palm branches. And that happens in Revelation 7-9. And in that account, this crowd is so enormous that no one could count how many people are in it. And it will be made up of persons from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And they would all be standing before the throne, before the Lamb, before Jesus, with palm branches in their hands. And they would be shouting, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow, that is what we're all being invited to. Jesus defied the expectations of the crowd back then because they wanted to be saved from their oppressors. But he defied it so that he could rescue us all from sin and death and give us direct access to God who is with us, even now. But it's not just for the now that we're living for. The ultimate celebration, John tells us, in God's kingdom is when Jesus is king over all and we're all gathered before him in a crowd too vast to number to worship him with our palm branches. So in conclusion, are we waving our palm branches, knowing that the one who has come to save indeed saves and is saving? May this Palm Sunday be an opportunity for us to learn from observing Jesus's body and actions. And as we do, may we follow Jesus's posture of humility and surrender, which he demonstrated not only by riding in on a donkey, but even before that, by the very giving up of his power and privilege as God to take on our human condition when he took on a body like ours. And so during this Holy Week, I invite you and I to consider what it means for our discipleship of following Jesus to involve our bodies because the body speaks. What if we took seriously the fact that Jesus didn't simply come to improve or enhance your life, 
but to invite and involve you in embodying and living out the will of God. And not just in grand ways or serving God, but in living out what heaven on earth looks like tangibly. I believe the way we work or worry, where we spend our energy or money, what, depend, what determines our emotional or mental state, how we eat or don't eat, whether we allow ourselves to Sabbath or not, what we gravitate towards for comfort or to numb the pain, all of this reveals what we know of God. And if we take a moment to pay attention to what our bodies do and why we do it, I think we'll discover more than we realize about what we really believe and know about God and his will. Because the body speaks. Jesus shows us that his body and actions speak as loudly and clearly about the God he follows, knows, and submits to. And we are no different. But if paying attention to your body seems too foreign right now, perhaps you could pick a character from today's passage, like someone in the crowd or one of the disciples, and you could imagine yourself in their body or in their shoes. You could try to imagine what hopes and expectations they had of Jesus and then compare that to your expectations of Jesus. Because unchecked and unnamed expectations tend to only lead to unconscious disappointment so what expectations might Jesus be inviting you to name and confess so that you, so that he can trade that for a greater sense of expectancy about who God is and what he's inviting you to? I pray that we will live fearlessly and courageously by letting go of our too small expectations and trade that for a bold expectancy of what it means to live like Jesus who came and gave his body to reconcile us to God and to one another. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.